says, get that India, big boy. G'day ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Tip Sheet on the public holiday today. It's the Queen's birthday, am I right mate? I think That's it, yeah, that's Queen's it birthday. mate. Not that we care too much, even though we're part of the Commonwealth, uh, but my name is six, oh, 60s, my name's 40, also known as John. Uh, God, I'm, I'm all scrambled, but we're backing up after a massive day yesterday for a live show out at Pablo's in front of a packed house, so I'm a little bit frazzled, but um, I'm not 60s, but 60s is here mate, how you doing? <laughs> I was a little bit confused for a moment. Yeah, mate. trading places. You know when you when you have those, uh, you have a big night. You get up the next day a bit, little bit worse for wear, and you, you for a moment you're thinking, "Who am I? Yeah, Where that, am that, I?" That, that was me All with no no alcohol involved. Just a you know not not too much sleep last night after uh, celebrating a big win over the West Tigers, and then uh, you know sort of having a bit of fun, I suppose, uh, watching TV and playing some games and whatnot. And then you know, wake up a little bit late, and all of a sudden you're not sure who you are anymore, and you think you're you think you're your co-host on the podcast. So, how's your <laughs> public holiday? Right? It was a it was a big day yesterday for us, as you said. We were out there at the leagues club with our live podcast with Mary Kay and Neville Glover. So, if you haven't had a chance to listen to us live, you can go and check out the podcast that we recorded at the leagues club yesterday. But yeah, we were on there from uh, about one o'clock yesterday and then we had the, the big match. And uh, whilst we do enjoy getting out our instant reaction podcast, it was a bit of a long day yesterday. Mm. So that's why we're recording the uh, not so instant, but still reaction podcast today. Yes, sir. So let's talk about the reaction. Parramatta Eels 40, defeating the West Tigers 12 out of Bankwest Stadium in round 14. This was a really interesting match coming into it because even though the Eels have been on a six-game win streak uh, over the Tigers in their recent encounters, which is a, you know, a dominant run by any measure, uh, five of those wins were relatively close with the first win being the uh, game, the inaugural game at Bank West, which was the absolute spanking. So the Tigers have sort of stood up for you know four or five uh, contests there and um, they're coming into this game on a two-game winning streak in general of their own from rounds uh, 12 and 13. So there was a lot to play for for both teams, but the Eels far too good on the day, mate. Uh, Quentin Gutherson nabbing a double with Joey Lussick scoring his first NRL try. Uh, and I think... <clears throat> and um, uh, becoming probably the most successful Lussick to don a jersey at the club <laughs> in doing so. Wonga Blake also getting on the board of Mitchell Moses and Mike Acevo. Uh Mitch perfect from the kicking tee on the night. And you knew from that first conversion that he was going to be red hot too. Um, that's usually a good barometer for how he's going to go. He um, nailed six uh, conversion attempts along with two penalty goals. There was three sim meetings in this game. Mike Acevo and Isaiah Papali'i for the Warrior, uh, for the Warriors, for the Eels. Uh, Papali'i obviously a former Warrior. And Sean Bloor for the West Tigers. For the Tigers, Jacob Little scored just before half time. James Roberts scored while Papali'i, uh, while Mike Acevo, sorry, was in the bin. Um, Adam Doohy and Luke Brooks both adding a conversion apiece. Uh, in terms of team stats, mate, uh, it was interesting because I'll just pull them up here if I can get them on the right thing. That's the team list, not the team stats. Um, the Eels ended up controlling possession 54 to 46%, but that probably blew out a little bit at the end of the game uh, when the Tigers had Sean Bloor in the bin and we went back to back to back with the tries. Because up until then, I think uh, the Tigers only made 20 or 30 more tackles than the Eels, which was crazy given how dominant the Eels have been. But in terms of completions, Eels are a rock sold 83% with 39 or 47 completed sets. Tigers at 71%, 27 or 38 
eels ahead in all key attacking categories, runs, run meters, post-contact meters, eight line breaks to four, 46 tackle breaks to 20, uh, better average set distance, better kick return meters, slower play the balls we're all used to by now, uh, 3.85 seconds to a 3.5 seconds. Uh, we have to ask someone, whether it's Joey or someone else at the club at some point, how that stat is so consistently against the Eels, yet it seems to be a, a metric for success for us, mate, because it's bizarre. But yeah, Eels, 15 offloads to the West Tigers, 10. Uh, kick diffusal is more effective for the Eels at 60%. The West Tigers, abysmal 33%. Uh, Eels defended at 90% uh, effective tackle rate, which is really solid. West Tigers down at 82%. <clears throat> and then in terms of our discipline or negative plays, this felt like the first game of the season that our dominance in the ruck was correctly reflected, uh, reflected in the six again calls, mate. Uh, Eels conceding four penalties to the West Tigers nine, and the uh, they actually haven't posted the no there it is Rock infringements. Uh, Parramatta Eels conceded five to the West Tigers eight, but there was also an inside the ten for the Tigers, so it's actually five to nine. But yeah, it was the first time, and I think Nathan Brown was responsible for three of them on his own, uh, like completely by himself. Uh, first time that the Eels dominating the ruck was really reflected by the referee giving them the six again calls. Yeah, and I think the. Uh, a little bit of fortune there for the Tigers because uh, there were a couple of moments as we were watching the game and I, and we were talking about how the West Tigers were standing all in front of the referee at various points. So uh, they, they were possibly lucky that they weren't nabbed a little bit more. Can I just have a, 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 a tiny moment of gloating and uh, refer you back to when I was asked for my match predictions yeah, at the league squad. at the live show, I think Mary Kay went for the uh, the outlier Sean Lane first try scoring. I went for Wanga Blake. I wasn't that far off. It was just a one man out uh, on that left edge. Uh, but 60's got the double here. He predict- predicted the uh, 50 points or more total between two teams, and he um, he nabbed the first try scorer. So if you'd gone for a same-game multi there, you would have got nicer lots there, I reckon. Don't forget the 13-plus, mate. And and the 13-plus, yes. He did say it was going to be a high-scoring game. Eels by 13-plus regardless, with Quinton Gufson to score the first try. So he nailed it. He nailed it in all three accounts. So I don't know if you put any money where your mouth was, mate, because you would have had a nice little win for. But, um, yeah, no. a great little pregame tip there. So well done. Yeah, unfortunately, I went for a first-half prediction in the punting tip for the preview where I said that there would be more than 24.5 first-half points in Parramatta covering the seven and a half point. You weren't that uh, far off there either. No, I know I wasn't that far off. Unfortunately, we had a we had a Mitch Moses drop over the line, which <laughs> and Tom uh, was also there had and, a tough um, chance. Yeah, and uh, a couple of other missed try scoring opportunities. Yeah, with uh, Opacic and um, yeah. So look, but you know the the promise that I'm on, where I'm not allowed. That's true. To punt on Parramatta, so <laughs> I'll, I'm. It's perfectly fine for me to give my tips. But if I put my coin on Parramatta, it's uh, you, not a good result. You've given a, a fair few um, decent tips this season too um, when you cover, help cover goals preview on the tipping part. So in some fine Yeah, form. Not, not, too, not too bad this year. In fact, probably the only time I've, I've tended to go down is where I've, I've looked for a little bit too much value with uh, the win and the uh, a, a score a try double so uh i think i should just stick to the um the the final match results uh, and uh yeah just keep consolidating there but yeah if um if anyone listening went for the uh, same game multi with those inclusions i think it would have been a an exceptional return there mm-hmm. 
So um, well done to 60s for the uh, shrewd betting advice. But let's talk about the Parramatta Eels, mate, because this was a really interesting game when you break it down. Uh, the Eel, we were sitting near each other and, and sort of analysing this game as it happened. Eels came out of the blocks playing good, solid football, very vanilla throughout their first few possessions and their first trip to the red zone. Then they started to dial it up, culminating in that Quinton Guffson opening try with that gorgeous little called shot with Nathan Brown sort of playing that junior Paulo role being deployed on the edge uh, with the uh, intentional flick pass to a, a sweeping Gufferson. We've seen Junior do that against the Dogs for Parramatta. Yes, uh, yep. And then we had the Eels really start to break away. Then Mitchell Moses let, <laughs> let them back into the game when he butchered an absolute gift try from Quinton Gufferson. Um, and he owned up to that in the post-game interview on the ground, which was good to see. Uh, but from there, uh, the Eels hit the accelerator in the second half, but then got really sloppy. So let the Tigers have a, not so much back into the contest, just like not, not be completely uh, stomped into the ground. And then we saw some real grubbiness from, I suppose, both sides there. There was a, a moment where Tom Amone should have been sin-binned and the Eels should have got possession, which then led to a, a strike and retaliation from Azai Papali'i, which saw him get sin-binned for some grubbiness in the ruck. Uh, and I, it felt like the, the game was really going to break out into an all-out brawl at some point, And then the team's just sort of said, no, it's not worth it. The game is pretty much over. The Eels, you know, run away with it. So I don't know. Where, where do you want to start with this one? Because there was a lot of good football. There was some, uh, there was some lapses, some a lack of attention to detail for Parramatta, which prevented them from going on and putting a real cricket score on. Um, and then there was also that general grubbiness. What what was your opening line of thought here? Look, it's I I would much rather focus on all of the positives that came out of the game. But let's be like ripping the Band-Aid off in terms of uh, the the aspects of the game which we wouldn't have liked to... which we didn't like to see, which BA wouldn't have liked to see. So, first of all, with regard to the ill-discipline, we saw Parramatta lose composure with the ball in hand. We saw a little bit of uh, lack of composure when the, the Tigers went a bit grubby and then we... Uh, very unlike... Uh, ice to retaliate the way that he did mm. with the um, usually with so cool head. Lower, that, let's call it a lowering of the knee to the head because he certainly didn't uh, apply any force. Although this morning on the radio, uh, I caught Ray I Hadley describing years. it as one of the worst things he'd seen on a football field in 35 years of covering <laughs> football. I tell you what, he's got a damn short memory because, as far as I was concerned, it, it was. It was one of the uh, worst things that I'd seen in 35 seconds on the football field. Going back to the Tom Amone uh, incident, exactly. You could have come up with 350 incidents this year, which had been far worse than that. Mm-hmm. And uh, certainly the, uh, the attack to RCG's head, which premeditated all of the grubbiness and which probably would have, if it had been dealt with, as it should have been dealt with, might have prevented any sort of flare-up between the teams. Now, I know mm-hmm. a lot of people don't mind seeing a bit of aggro and a bit of flare-up happening in the game, and uh, Bloor in the past, and that wasn't Bloor with, with that uh, particular incident, it was uh, Tom Amone, if I'm Correct, if it was, I'm it was correct. Amone that uh, sparked the, uh, the, the sort of the chain of grubby events. Yeah, and, and but there was a... Uh, last year, when they were playing the um, the Tigers, there was the um, was it last year or twenty? It was no, it was last year. It was, it was last year. Bloor and Brown went out at Hammer and Tom. Yeah, and people didn't mind that, and then they they came together after the match and and exchanged pleasantries about you know a, a clash that they probably enjoyed that that physicality between the two of them. 
but uh, yeah, that the the facial work that went on to RCG was over the top. If it had, a, it should have been dealt with because it was an attack uh, to the head. It was probably, it certainly wasn't um, any less of an offence than um, than what happened with Papali'i. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's been dealt with appropriately with the uh, the fine to Papali'i. I believe it was dealt with appropriately in terms of him going to the sin bin because. Uh, look, no one wants to see that sort of stuff, and and it just wasn't smart footy from Isaiah, and and as I said, it just seemed totally out of character for him. So um, it is worth yeah, it I is worth we, noting in the general context of the game defensively, twenty minutes without uh, thirteen men on the field, he was only considered the one try, and that came off the back of a errant Bryce Cartwright kick that let Luke Brooks steal a good forty meters. So yeah. it was defensively really stood up to the. The challenge of um, being a man down, and I mean the first try for a little was probably the more the more frustrating because that was a little bit soft. They let Luciano and a little creep cross field and link up with Luke Brooks, who then found uh, Little for an offload. But yeah, defensively the Eels really good this game. Which is no, what you uh, can say. we just can we give a, a bit of a shout out to Hayes Dunster because mm. I thought he did an outstanding job yeah. out on the wing. Hey, Hayes uh, has come in and it, I mean he's no young superstar. He's not going to get the sort of plaudits that Xavier Coates and whatnot get. But geez, he's been really impressive. Um, come in has worked really well with Tom Opachik. He's listening to the calls he sent his making, and he's been really fluid in adapting to what the offense on the opposing side has given to him. So if they're going to play short passes, he's jamming aggressively and wrapping up the the man at the ball. And if they're going to play cutouts, he's um swiveling those hips really cleanly and getting out and sliding. Um, helping his interior sliders as well get over and cover. So done a really good job being sound under the high ball, returned the ball strongly, scored a try against Newcastle, obviously, which was a, a gimme from Maddo. But he's been really good. So really, really pleasant game from uh, Hayes Dunster, and he's certainly done nothing wrong to warrant getting dropped. In fact, I think I said the, the previous week that uh, if he was sent, sent out there with his, his list of KPIs that he needed to do, then it just would have been tick, 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 tick again. So The, the, only, uh, ne- the only negative, and it would be perceived negative because the rest of the back line pumped out the metres, was that he didn't get to 100 metres in that game. But he still went 6 for 66 at 11 metres a, a click. So he's done a decent job there. And, you know, when like I said, when you've got other guys like Garfield's in 150, Sivo 131, Opechuk 138, and Wanga 150, they're picking up the slack and helping Hayes do the other parts of the game better. So really good work from the entire back line. And that leads me to, I suppose, the other player we should shout out in the back line, the guy who switched sides, uh, or technically Tom Oberchick did too, but Wanga Blake looks like a new player out there on the left. He's energetic, he's involved, he's reading the play really nicely, he's making his tackles, he's getting in, in under the high ball defensively, um, he, he's cleaning up loose balls in the opposition, he's running dynamically. Uh, that That's the Wanga Blake that we sort of came to expect, right, 60s, the guy that is a dynamo of the ball in hand and and sort of brings a lot of energy to the team. He's just a reborn player across these last two games. Well, you can only imagine what was going through his head before when all that criticism was coming his way from uh, from the media, from fans. And look, there's there's no doubt that there were there were issues over on that side of the field. And uh, I think. You have to look to give a lot of credit to BA there for looking to find the solution for Wonga because he is athletically just so gifted. Uh, you, you only like some of the some of what you see of him, and I know it's it's a bit of a distant memory, but I, I remember the the way that he could carve up teams 
uh, playing out in the in the uh, Penrith back line. And then when he first came to us, what he what he demonstrated, and, and I also think back to the game last year against the Panthers, where yeah. he probably was single handed, not maybe not single handedly, that, that but twenty minute period in the second half, he just turned it on 30, and gave Stephen yeah, Crichton a buff. Yeah, he he absolutely turned that that game around with a couple of big incidents uh, against the Panthers. So uh, look, he's he's athletically gifted. He's when if you ever see him, and we we don't get to see enough of it in games, but I've seen him in his sprint work at Eels training, and he is a sight to behold in full stride. I I'm looking forward to him ab- getting out into the clear, absolutely in the clear in matches, and I and I have the feeling that that's going to come about too. But um, yeah, oh, look, credit to BA there for. Um, for persevering and finding a way to make it work with Wonga because his confidence level is going to be that much better than what it was. And as I said, you can imagine what was happening to his confidence with the way he was being attacked from pillar to post. And um, and, and as I said, I, I do understand that people are going to vent. I was, I was at that stage thinking... Oh, it, was so, it was so frustrating watching that right edge go to work because I was just... Yeah. All at sea, nothing was making any sense. The the most basic of our, of opposition set movements against them were, were catching them out, and now down that right edge, Opachik and Dunster are doing such a good job. And then on the left, him, uh, Mwanga and, and Sivo look real fine. That there's been no lapses in communication down there. They're defending really well. <clears throat> so the Buller Boys, mate. Yeah, the the, the Fijian Flyers on the left, the Buller Boys. So that's um working really nicely. Um, I think that Micah, barring one drop that he had when we moved the ball down the left edge, was um, pretty solid last night. Although he did have that 10-minute uh, stint in the bin, which is also going to lead to him missing one game, we expect. Got a, a grade two careless charge for a tackle on Adam Doohy, uh, which an early guilty people lead to a one-week suspension. So that's going to lead to an interesting selection uh, conundrum next week, which we can talk about uh, later. But Yeah, well, there, I think we definitely um, have a bit of a chat about that before this podcast is over. But... Um, what else have you got in the? What have you? Uh, let's dig into the positive column now well, for the uh, for the rest of the team. This, what, what's what stands out for you, mate? I mean, individually, there's a few guys we can wrap. But I'm going to start with the player that there was such a huge hole coming into this game because we're going to be missing one of our spine players for. I, I we expect around a month now, but probably a bit longer because there's there's two buys in there: the standalone origin and the actual buy. So it's going to be more than a month in football time, but a, a month of football. Um, Reed Money out with that uh, subluxation of the shoulder. So, huge question marks. Reedy playing origin caliber football, being so good for the Eels and is so central to a lot of our red zone work and our ability to get attacking clearing kicks in. And Joey Lussick comes in and, and plays, uh, was he down for 80 minutes here? Let me just check. Yeah, 80 minutes, scores a try and provides fantastic service. He was so clean in that game. You know, Reed, Reed is probably the best distributor of the ball in the game in terms of the speed of his service and, and how good he can find his playmakers out wide. But, geez, Joey did a fantastic job. Well, we, the, the Eels didn't didn't skip a beat with his introduction to the team. He literally was... It was like he'd been the dummy half for the team for the entire year. Yeah, so... That was how, that's, how, that's how smooth the transition was to him slotting into that role. Now, of, of course, the conundrum is going to be that the the whilst he continues to play well like that, that he showcases his talents and um, 
uh, it's not going to surprise if uh, if another club comes calling on Joey Lusick to be. I mean, Dummy Half is such a premium position, half. right? No one handles the ball more than your number nine. Joey's gone out there. He's made forty six tackles, three missed, two ineffective for a ninety point two effective tackle rate. Scored a try. Um, he also got a, a, a crucial penalty too early on with a, a nice little heads up grubber kick that baited Alex Twal onto a uh, tackle off the ball. Um, and on top of that, uh, where is he? Uh, got through 36 run metres. He jumped out of dummy half really nicely, just complimented his forwards. Um, that That is as good a game as you can expect the backup dummy half to play. That That is, yep. you know, borderline NRL average dummy half player, which is, that's a huge compliment for a guy being a backup hooker. That's not a backhanded compliment saying, you know, average player. If, you, if your replacement player comes in and plays at an NRL average level, that's huge. That is incredible. I'll, I'll, I'll fine-tune it a bit. I would, I would say that rather than say average, I'll say that he has met the standard of a top eight team dummy half, if not a top not, four not, team not dummy unfair. half. Yeah, that's not unfair. He's come in and done a really good job. Um, I, I did have a little bit of a chuckle at his try because that's not a knock on him, but he had no support runners near the goal line off a normal play the ball and the West Tigers just stood around. So credit to him for taking advantage of the situation. He showed a bit of strength there to fight through the, the contact and get the ball down. But yeah, I'm really, really pleased with what Joey Lusick did. Um, like we, we had the whole back line a shout out. I thought the Harles were very good again. Uh, Mitchell Moses was devastating in the second half during that period that... Uh, uh, Bloor uh, was Simbind. I thought that Dylan Brown was uh, a number of times, he was like half a second, whether it was a broken tackle or a short ball away from completely destroying the Tigers. Uh, <clears throat> and then from across the four pack, we already shout out Nathan Brown, who had a season best game, I felt. But Papa Lee was very good prior to being Simbind. Uh, Reg and Junior were, were solid. They didn't have to do too much, they just, you know, trucked it up. Um, I thought that Murata near Corey was outstanding off the bench. Um, Oggy had a couple of good runs and also one loose carry, so that's something he needs to address. He's had, you know, he's good for an error every now and then, unfortunately. But yeah, uh, who who were your standouts in this game outside of the players that I mentioned in depth between the back line and, and Joey? Look, I, I mean, it's it's obviously difficult to go past Mitch Moses in terms of uh, the uh, a standout player. We as the other thing too, as you mentioned, was that we won the middle, and one of the things that we talked about during the match uh, on the uh, on the run with our uh, with it amongst ourselves was the fact that the tigers just seemed to be hanging on by a thread. It it, it was as if um, the the likes of uh, Nathan Brown and uh, Isaiah Papali'i Junior Reg that it was just relentless the way they were. Um, crashing into the, the Tigers' defence. And you could see the energy that was being sapped from the Tigers with they were either being hit on the edges or then you'd get Nathan Brown smashing it in behind the ruck. And no one, it seemed like no one in the West Tigers' defence was escaping that sort of impact and collision that they uh, that was being delivered to them. With the uh, with the eels ball in hand, it was look. I just thought it was a um, a very composed performance to start start off with, and then uh, we took full advantage of that early in the second half. But then, unfortunately, uh, as you said, we had that little bit of a late loss of composure, which got kick happy uh, and just 
didn't really turn the screws on the Tigers when we got a number of possessions inside the red zone. I think it sort of started when I know that we went on the run with off three consecutive tries during it, but I think part of it was instigated when uh, we got Bloor binned correctly for taking out Joey Lusick in support of a Dylan Brown line break. Uh, but then uh, from the resulting tap and go, Sean Lane gets stripped one-on-one on the first tackle. <laughs> so um, yeah. we got got a little bit loose there. The attention to detail slipped a little bit. The refereeing attention to detail slipped a little bit too for both teams. I think that both the Tigers and the Eels would have gripes in the way that game was officiated both from the bunker and on the field. But let's um, not waste too much oxygen on that one because that seems to be a recurring issue for a lot of teams every round in uh, 2021. Can we go? Can we just give a, a bit of a, a three-two-one then at this stage? Three-two-one. I I really want to give Barry my three points. I thought that he was sensational. Um, just viciously gashed the Tigers in back behind the dummy half uh, in the ruck and got three. Like I said, one individually three six again calls by himself. Set up two tries for Quinton Gufferson with some really nice ball playing. Um, was phenomenal. Uh, who's got your best on field for the three points, mate? You know I'm have to go you know I'm always looking at, at one of the big boppers for uh, major points in any win because I think the what the work that's done by the pack is always going to be instrumental in getting the win can I go for a bloke that went to the bin is that allowed because I'd still like to give it to ice he as, was he was so good he um, had a team high 12 tackle breaks no they've 12 tackle breaks. Let me just double check this. Yeah, twelve tackle breaks, which is just ridiculous. The the Tigers were literally getting pinballed by him every carry. He nearly scored two or three times in that first half. He was so close, um, but was pulled down at the last possible moment uh, in desperation by the Tigers. He was very good, and like you said, it, it you sort of you um and ah about whether you can give a guy that went to the bin the three points, but geez, he's just so he's been so good for us. And I, I think the players' poll just came out from the Sydney Morning Herald today, and um, he's been nominated as. Uh, not only one of the best three-back rollers in the game, but the buy of the season. So, uh, well-deserved plaudits for Ice, who has just been incredible. Yeah, and then then I'm probably going to have to go to Mitch Moses for my two and Nathan Brown for the one. And then I'm I'm annoyed at having to leave out Gutho or um, Dylan Brown. Um, yeah, uh, RCG. I just... I just think it's um, it, it, when you when you get performances like that, where a number of play oh even and even Joey Lussie, yeah, he, he features as one of my best on field. But then once you start to getting to name half the team, uh, you just go well. You know what? It was a pretty it was a pretty good team performance. In spite of being able to find some negatives, it was still a very good team performance, as you'd expect it would be in a 40-12 to 12 victory. Yeah, well, I was going to give Moses my two as well. Uh, I thought that he was outstanding, didn't miss a goal attempt, uh, was very uh, aggressive and taking on the line in the second half. I always love seeing a player willing to take on a fullback, and because he did that, I actually set up the try uh, later uh, because he, he had the, the doubt placed inside uh, the fullback Dane Laurie, sorry, uh, from that previous play, because he because he did that and scored by himself, it meant that later on when Mike Acevo scores, um, he wasn't sure how to commit to the option of the run or pass. Really cool. And the one I am going to give to uh, Joey Lusick uh, to come in and do that sort of job is in, you know uh, a sign of a, a player that is fully committed, a player that you know really wants to whether it's earn a new deal at the club or go on and and you know earn a, a bigger payday somewhere else, which I you know I'm never going to begrudge a player for. Really quality play. 
a huge encouraging. And the other players you mentioned as well, um, obviously Ice, um, I thought Reg was very good. Murata was outstanding off the bench. So there's a number of players that could have featured. Wonga Blake, Tom Opachik, Clinton Gufferson. You know, the, like I said, you start mentioning most of the team because they had such a, a you know decent day out there. So always a good sign. Um, and so the Eels obviously extend their streak to seven over the West Tigers, and they sweep the Tigers in 2021, having taken the previous game in round four, I want to say, um, out at ANZ. Let me just check out check our draw quickly. It was round four, yeah, 36 to 22, with the Eels surviving that late little run with a, a couple of tries, which we mentioned in our preview. So, yeah, good good around performance, mate. Um, keeps the Eels in outright third place on the ladder, and they're only just one win off the top now. Uh, Penrith's two-game slide means that the Storm have actually overtaken them on for and against after belting the New Zealand Warriors in the game before ours on Sunday. Um, and although the Eels do have the inferior for and against, it is still the third best in the competition when I say inferior. 176-4 would be uh, an outstanding for and against in any year. It just happens to be that the Storm 294 and the Panthers 285 uh, is just ridiculous. So Eels outright third, chasing uh, the split first and second place uh, teams there. And they're going to have the Panthers in a couple of weeks' time, or they'll be without Reed Marnie. So it'll be an interesting hit out there. Um, do, by the way, do you um, do you rate the Roosters as a chance of uh, taking the Panthers down this week to make it three losses in a row? Well, I, I, you can't discount the Roosters under Trent Robinson. He's done a fantastic job of keeping them together. They've lost a number of core players this year due to early retirements. Obviously, Boyd Corden yesterday. Uh, what was leaked by the media, but yesterday pulling the plug uh, with concussions, proving to be too much for him to overcome. Making the correct call for his health, by the way. Um, like, like I said before, don't begrudge a player for chasing a better payday. Don't begrudge a player for looking after their body. Um, and and uh, Boyd definitely making the right call there. Um, and obviously losing Brett Morris and Jake Friend as well this year um, on top of the uh, the long-term season-based like season injuries like Luke Keery. So they've done a fantastic job keeping it together. I reckon they'll challenge the Roosters, uh, uh, Roosters, challenge the Panthers. Penrith obviously looking to bounce back of all the Origin stars, and they're, they're going to enter the game as deserved favourites, I'd say. But yeah, I'm it is at Penrith, which is going to favour them heavily. Um, but I wouldn't rule it outside the realms of possibility. Um, a big game from Sam Walker, or um, you know Joey Manu, or someone like that, could really put that game on its head. So uh, not outside the realms of possibility, mate. Yeah, I, I look. I obviously think that. Penrith will take that one out, but it's you just you never rule out the Roosters where they've got a system that works, and they, although they had that, it was a real mixed bag that game against the Titans. You'd expect that it'll be a game that they'll lift for, and they do tend to lift when they're playing the uh, a fellow top. Uh, of the tables team Correct. so uh, yeah it'll be an interesting clash I'm actually looking forward to uh, watching that not just from the perspective of seeing how Penrith bounce back one week before we play them but also just from the point of view of um, where do the Roosters stand in terms of what they might be able to deliver for the rest of the season and whether this is going to perhaps cost them a top four uh, placing uh, given the uh, nature of the draw and uh, some clubs having uh, an easier run into the finals than others. But um, yeah, that, I mean, assuming uh, that the, the top three doesn't get changed too much, I know the Eels do have a tough run back home, but assuming they can take care of enough business, there'll be Storm Panthers Eels. That fourth spot's a shootout between the Rabbitohs, the Roosters 
and maybe the Sea Eagles. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I actually think that the um, the Sea Eagles are going to go close because they have got the most unbelievably cushy draw that any team could be gifted. They uh, there are very few top eight teams that they play twice. It's just uh, it's quite remarkable when you when you see the the draw that they have. But um, mate, they, I think the the big question now is going forward to next week with the suspension of Mike Acevo. Yes, how BA decides to fill that hole. Does he put one, uh, um, Blake Ferguson back into first grade? Does he look for other options? Because if he puts Blake Ferguson back into first grade, is he looking at switching his sides as a winger? Because if he... Um, Both he and Hayes he, play right wing by trade, yes. Yes, yes. So, and then if he puts him over where Sevo is at the moment, that puts him back alongside Wonga Blake, and we know that that just does not work. Yeah, that's oil it and just water does right not there. Work. Just, you, so, you don't do it. You, you've learned your lessons there over the last two years. No more, no more. So yeah, and 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 so that's what makes me think this is a a really challenging decision for him because ideally he would have liked Ferguson to be a minimal to- like fix up his game, minimal time in reserve grade, and uh, you you don't want a bloke on that sort of money with that sort of uh, pedigree behind him with his uh, talent to be running around in reserve grade. But by the same token, uh, you want you do want him to have addressed the issues that need to be addressed and you don't want to go putting him back next to the player that you know it just didn't gel. So what do they do? All of a sudden they've got a, a, a right side that works. You, you, are you going to jumble the whole back line again to accommodate putting a winger back into first grade who you've just dropped. And the question then becomes, did he do enough in yesterday's uh, reserve grade game? Now, um, let's talk about yesterday's reserve grade game. Yeah, so we, uh, we, uh, Cup game. we wrapped up our show, uh, got done about 2.30, I want to say, a little bit after 2.30, um, after chatting with um, the glove, Neville Glover. Got over to the ground, watched the last quarter of the game, the last 20 or so minutes. Uh, the Eels were close to bottling a, a very solid lead from about 28 to 12, I think it was, mate, uh, or 26 to 12. I'm not sure. Um, and we saw the Magpies storm back into it. The Magpies, no chump change. They were second on the ladder. Still are, by the way. Uh, and uh, the game actually finished with a long-range penalty goal attempt from the Magpies on a very dubious call uh, for a, a chip. Uh, the kicker being taken out in a chip and chase um, from about 43 metres out just to the left of the uprights that was pushed right. So the Eels end up uh, salvaging a win out of that and not a draw. Um, yeah, I think the penalty was actually called for escorting. So that's how that's how um, soft it was, on where a, it was a chip, chip and chase, like and he escorted evidently yeah. what was de- he deemed to have escorted the um, the kicker away from chasing his own kick. So, right, so there you go. Anyway, but yeah, um, from what we saw, Blake Ferguson had some strong carries through the middle, working out as a, a ruck option. But defensively, the right edge also had a couple of line breaks on that side. So, I don't know. Like, Fergo is the, the simplest when it comes to the plug-and-play options. Um, but you look at that New South Wales Cup team, and you've got Michael Oldfield who can play wing or centre. Um, and he wouldn't be the flashiest option, but he does plug a gap for one game. 
but then there's probably the option that a lot of fans are going to be uh, banging the drums for. It's the kid that's got all the hype now. He's coming off a huge game, 19 runs, 224 metres, scored a try, making it a, a number of games in a row. He scored a try now, busted a few tackles, five tackles there. And defensively, made uh, 16 tackles for just a one missed, 94.1% effective tackle rate. And that's Will Penasini. The question for Will is, uh, do you, in that hypothetical, would you play him at centre and then create uh, uh, an unfortunate scenario where we have to play like Wanga Blake on the wing or Tom Opachik on the wing? Or given that it's the Bulldogs and, and you're pretty confident in the rest of your back line, would you just play him on the wing and say, you know, here you go, Rook, just figure it out in the wing and keep it simple? Well, the positive is that he plays left side at the moment. He's mm-hmm. been playing on the left side. Yeah, for a number so, of weeks now, yeah. Yeah, he... I mean, you could have you could have that option where he plays left side centre for one game, and uh, Wonga plays wing outside of him. Because if if we think back to last year, before we lost for, um, Jenko in that uh, finals match, the original plan was that Wonga Blake was uh, going to play on the wing in that game. So. And then, of course, things changed with the the loss of um, of Jenko to centre. It meant that Wonga had to go to centre, and then Hayes Dunster came in on the wing. So, um, I I don't think it's outside the realms of possibility that they could consider that. Um, personally, I think they might be tempted to to go with Michael Oldfield because um, we know that. He's got a history of being able to fill in. Yes, he, he's in, in his somewhat journeyman career across the Roosters, the Raiders, the Seagulls, and whatnot. He's uh, filled in a lot, a lot on the wing, so he could be a plug-in play option there for the Eels on that left flank. Yeah. So um, just and just looking at um, the stats from that game was uh, Will Penasini made over 200 running metres yeah. in the in the yeah, uh, 19 carries, 224 metres, five tackle busts. Scored the opening try, defended really strongly, um, and that's backing up from a game against the Newcastle Knights, I believe, last week, uh, where he also yep. posted, uh, I think, close on 200 metres. Let me just pull that game up for posterity. Uh, yeah, 30 to 22 over the Knights. Player stats. He had 180 metres and scored a try against the Knights. And how many did they have him for tackle busts there? Uh, they had him for seven tackle busts. And uh, defensively, again, 12 tackles, zero missed, one ineffective, 92.3 effective tackle rate. So he's on a bit of a run here, Will Penison. He's really starting to find his groove and reserve grade. Uh, and, he, I mean, the baseline for his play has been pretty solid throughout the entirety of 2021. He's had some dips, as you'd expect from a rookie early on, but it looks like he's avoided hitting the wall mid-season and instead has pushed through and, and really taken his game to another level. So encouraging signs for certain. Uh, absolutely. It, so we expected that BA might be tempted to give Will a run late in the season if there was an if there was an appropriate game. Not mm-hmm. that there's were too many appropriate games in that uh and murderous row that like, exists. Like you mentioned on the on the pre show yesterday, it felt like the club were making provisions for Tom Opachik being potentially selected for Origin as well. Because he'd played really yeah. strongly in Queensland, lacking centres, playing uh, playing uh, Kurt Capel out in the, in the centres there, who got exposed badly uh, in that game. And now that um, Xavier coaches in doubt, Dan Gagai is probably going to have to uh, change the wing potentially. So 
Um, you know, that, that looms as another issue for the Eels if Tom Opachik is selected. But, yeah, so, like you said, one way... Although I don't, think, I don't think they'd be without him for a game. It would be whether they needed to rest him after playing because they've uh, the only game where they, they were going to be without their was game origin one. stars has already been... Yeah. Um, like you said, the, the, the club, one way or another, sort of had provisions uh, trending towards Will Penatini debut in the middle to later part of the season. Yeah. So maybe this becomes the game where he's prepared to roll the dice and give Will his first taste of NRL football because uh, Jake Arthur's gone back to... Uh, the New South Wales Cup level and hasn't missed a beat with that and, in fact, has, has looked like he's uh, benefited from his time up in the top grade. He, he certainly did well enough playing first-grade football and um, uh, seems to have grown in confidence from that exposure. So maybe this is the next step for Will Penasini in his development because, as you suggested, he has been really finding his groove He's always been known as a talent. Uh, the people who followed him closely through the, his GPS rugby time have commented that his, uh, as a player and and as a uh, a player that gets noted, he wasn't sitting uh, very far behind Joseph Suwali mm-hmm. in terms of rugby union talent. So. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether another King's student makes a first-grade debut this year. So I'll put you on the spot, mate. What do you think BA will do? And we're, not saying, we're not saying this is what BA should do or what we will do. Yeah. What do you think he will do? I mean, if you're a coach, right, you usually think about because you're trying to balance short-term and long-term all the time about, you know, developing prospects or, you know, doing your best to solidify your win, you know, every week because, you know, you're always trying to go 1-0 every round. Um, I think the obvious option there would be Blake Ferguson, but I, I reckon if I'm BA, you, you're definitely, you know, sitting there percolating in the mind about about playing Will Penasini. I, fi- I think you're giving a very, very serious thought if you're the head coach. Even if you have to reshuffle the back line and, whether that means playing Penasini on the flank or pushing Wang or Tom Opachik out into the wing just to you know hold the fort for one round, I, I would be giving it very serious consideration if I was head coach, if I was BA. If I was BA. I'm going to tip that he gives him a shot. And I could be completely wrong, but I'm going to tip that he gives him a shot because if you're, if you're looking at the run of matches that uh, late in this, the season... This is, this is your window. This is it. Like, yeah. you got this week against the Dogs, then you're going to have the game against Penrith, which you don't really want to be throwing. I mean, not like, you know, Mike is going to be back, so assuming no more injury suspensions, you don't really want to be throwing him into the Wolves then there. And after that, you've got maybe the Titans, I think. that That's your best bet looking at our run because it is a murderous row for the Eels after the bye. You, you come out of the bye and you take on the Titans up in the Gold Coast. It's Canberra at Parramatta, which is another game you could feasibly debut with someone in because Canberra are definitely trending... Uh, downwards at the moment, and they're you know, at best treading water. But then it's Roosters, Rabbitohs, Seagulls, Cowboys, Storm, and Panthers. So uh, Cowboys may be another option, but at the same time, that's three weeks removed from the postseason. So you really want to be having your lineup completely finalized and, and fully in gear because it's go time. 
you want to be yeah. you know uh, tinkering then. So you got this game and maybe the Tigers game, uh, Titans game. Sorry. Um, yes, that's that's it. That's a as you suggested. It's a, a very tight window. Um, does he even consider the winger, Sean Russell? Uh, that I mean that that is more from left field. But at the same time, it's the, the man that's been playing the specialist position throughout the season. I know he's playing a bit of time at fullback too, uh, but that fullback and wing is such an interchangeable position these days. Um, it feels like every winger wants to be a fullback in terms of the payday and uh, they've, you know, the increasing skill level of those players means that they slide into fullback so comfortably. And you know, uh, and you know, as a fullback, it's just going to the wing and being simplifying your game. So, yeah, I, I could I could see an argument where Sean Russell plays. It does do. Uh, sorry. I'm, I'm tripping over my words there. It does leave you a little bit light when it comes to rucking the ball out. Um, I know Russell's a goer and, and will you know try his hardest there, but between he and Hayes, you're you're not exactly a, a powerhouse in that regard. I think Will Penasini really thrives in that aspect of the game. He, he's very strong, uh, very strong, and difficult to bring down. So that that might come into consideration. But yeah, Sean Russell, he, he's the you know the hundred to one option, but I wouldn't rule him out because, like you said, or like we said, sorry, specialist position. Um, you know, comes in and, and plays that edge and has a better understanding of that role than um, the other options in terms of current form. So, yeah, uh, long long shot, but I would put him in the mix. Yeah, so um, just wrapping up the um, uh, looking ahead, uh, we've got the uh, New South Wales Cup side now sitting, they're still sitting in third place. Correct. That's correct. And mate, j- yeah. just to give you, the, you everyone listening the full rundown, because we only talked about it in brief, but the Eels 28 over the Magpies 26. Uh, Will Penasini, Jacob Arthur, Jordan Rankin, Michael Oldfield, and Blake Ferguson scoring. Rankin four from five from a tee. Uh, so, yeah, good solid win. Last time these two teams met uh, was back in round four, and the Eels squandered a chance to knock over the Magpies, who um, went on a big run after that. So good to get a bit of revenge there and keep the Eels in the hunt. And, you know, we've been talking about the Cup team all season. The fact that they're in third, and outright third, uh, is a real testament to Ryan Carr and, you know, the core players there and the, and the guys that have come in and stepped up as role players, you know, in rotation. Um, there's been a lot of instability in their team because of promotions to first grade, because of injuries in the grade, because of suspensions. And they've just rolled with the punches and just kept on, you know, kept on chugging. There's been a couple of losses that they would have liked to have had back. I think the game over the Mounties was one that they would have really been upset about losing. Um, and the Magpies game that we mentioned just before in round four, but they've played some good football, mate. They've been really impressive. And, and like we said throughout this entire season, it's been such a fun trip supporting them week in and week out because they're playing good football. They're young. They're energetic. Um, you know, you've got a, some good core middle forwards there in Makahesi Makatoa and uh, Greg Wiramu, who are really going from strength to strength. Oh, uh, Greg Wiramu. Oh, Wiramu, Greg. Uh, <laughs> I told you, it's it's that day where I'm 60s, he's, he's uh, Greg Wiramu. So, uh, yeah, but Wiramu, Greg, having and both of those boys having fantastic games on the weekend. Makatoa going for over 200 again. The guy's an absolute machine. Uh, I, I don't know if the, the window that is there for him to debut in 2021 for us now, but um, as a mature age debutant, potentially, Jeezy wouldn't let the Eels down. And uh, Wiramu going for 170 metres um, off like 15 carries, I think, against uh, Wests, if I can just find my draw again, sorry. Um, you know, really starting to uh, come into his own. And he's a player that's only going to get better in 2022 with a proper preseason with the Eels to whip him into peak shape. Um, so really good to see the big man there, um, you know, taking 
taking control of that starting uh, position. And the back rowers. I mean, we've spoken about Elsgerham constantly this year. Um, another really strong game from him. Had a ridiculous amount of post-contact metres this game. <clears throat> 175 metres in total, 100 of them coming from post-contact. Keegan Hipgrave and Kai Rodwell rounding out the starting back row of some strong performances. So, yeah, uh, the the recruitment um, panel has done a great job finding the these, I don't like to use the term like that, but, you know, the bargain bin prospects like Kai Rodwell and he's um, not playing, he wasn't playing that game, but Kurt Dillon's also been fantastic. Um, you know, Elsgerham was picked up as a, a former Eels junior that came back to the club. So, yeah, they've done a really, really good job and it makes the games really fun to watch, even if they are a little bit frenetic at the end. Um, like they nearly bottled that one against the Tigers or the Magpies, rather. But yeah, um, that that squad has done tremendous, and they deserve um, some plaudits at the midway point for the season. Yeah, and of course the the cost is then borne, unfortunately, for the flag team. <laughs> yeah, which we'll get to now. Sixties got out there on Saturday. The uh, Jersey flag taking on the West Tigers, who are at the top of the table in that competition. I believe they've actually supplanted the. Penrith Panthers and the Dragons. So, yeah, there you go. The Panthers sliding a little bit. Uh, the, the Tigers are the benchmark in that comp. And the Eels busted out of the blocks in this one, mate. You sent me a text message. Parramatta up 12-0. And then it was all downhill from there. Oh, mate. it's un- Unfortunately, it's it's what we have seen a couple of times with the Jersey flag team when we've covered it has been a tale of two halves. Yes. Where, where the first half looks so strong. And then the second half, the errors come in, and it's it's really, I don't know, it's 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 not a question of talent. It's obviously it's a question of attention to detail mm. and um, focus and uh, composure, those sorts of things. Because the errors, when they happen, they just seem to be really, really basic. And then it it feels like as soon as that they start to get a few errors that they their attack loses its shape that um they it, i don't know whether their communication stops out on the field or whether it starts becoming more negative than positive i i don't know i'm not i'm not hearing that but you just to give people a bit of a rundown on uh, on how things um played out they, yes they did come out of the out of the blocks they uh, jaden yates the dummy half he scored in the second minute and it was uh something that he's typical for him to do which is a a, a dart from dummy half. Yeah, he's a, a robust from, from he's a back row convert to dummy half he's a, a real nugget close to the line he loves to have a go doesn't he 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 does and it wasn't and, and it was his first try was um it was probably something that you might have expected the top of the team top of the table team to be able to stop but he's he really is um, a bloke who just fights for every meter that he can get. So he he's he's crossed early in the game, and then it's been uh, backed up by Jaden Skinner uh, crossing out wide a little bit after that. So we've we've had less than twenty minutes played, and they're up twelve nil, and uh, they ended up going to the break at fourteen six ahead, and then early in the second half, well, right from the kickoff, they. Uh, Parramatta kicked off and got possession back for, to start the second half. So with a um, uh, ten meters out from the West Tigers, uh, sorry, the Wests. No, it is West Tigers. Yeah, the West. Confusingly, uh, it's, it's West Tigers and Flag and NRL, but uh, in Reggie's, it's the West Magpies. 
Yes. So uh, possession 10 metres out. They dropped the ball over the line when it looked like they'd scored a try. A um, couple of sets later, they dropped the ball on the, their halfway line and then the rot set in and it was basically, unfortunately, one-way traffic from there. The score ended up blowing out to 30-14 to 14 to the West Tigers. And, look, I really think it was a, a, a missed opportunity to... Uh, to make a statement in that grade for the team, I really like the work of um, Tazi James. I thought he was he was almost unstoppable out there with a lot of his carries. But um, yeah, the the difference between the first half and the second half was uh, it looked like two different teams out there. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that's going to be the challenge for Coach uh, Dean Feeney is to is to get that focus they they did have a uh 58 debut for them uh during uh for this week Connor Garrity who came to us by way of Windsor but I think he also spent a little bit of time in the rooster system um he got a either a training trial for them I think in 2020 or something similar so yeah they've been plugging and playing their spine throughout the course of the season um Tyron Harding who who's a really intriguing prospect the fullback has been injured on and off throughout the year. I think that, uh, yeah, looking at the halves, you know, you had Josh Chappell coming to the team recently, trying to, you know, elevate from the SG ball into the the flag, which is a big jump. So he's finding his feet there. Jaden Yates has been the only real consistent factor at the um, dummy half. So that's always going to be an issue. Um, their back line's been chopped and changed a lot. Solomon Iduki's been up and down for the New South Wales Cup or injured. Sam Loizu's been injured on and off throughout the year. Um, I think Fru and Eastope's got the most caps in their back line. So that once again, another position or another skill group position where they've had a lot of chopping and changing. Um, and then the forward pack has probably been the most consistent. Um, I think Tarzi James, another one that's been up and down from Cup, unfortunately for the flag team, but good for him. Um, been a, a just reward for him being outstanding. But yeah, um, they're missing, uh, I think... Uh, I'm just trying to look there because they've, they've got so many SG World prospects now. Forgetting who's been in our team, but the back row's been pretty consistent. Peter Tatio, Penny Tohi coming in this week, but Caleb Tohi um, and Tatio have been mainstays in the back row for a number of weeks now. And yeah, on the bench you've got the two SG Ball prospects, Jonathan Junior, Beffen Mieser, and Larry Moagu Um Aside from that, it, it, it's been such a, a chop and change lineup. So much instability because of injuries and promotions to senior grades. Um, so yeah, they're. they're Rolling of the punches, they're, they're doing what they can. Um, you know, it's a matter of it is what it is. Um, yes. Yeah, and if you if you consider that um, in a lot of seasons, they it might have been that they would have benefited from having Jake Arthur there in the halves, having uh, Will Penasini, uh, Sam Penicini, Ru- uh, Sean Russell, Russell. Uh, yeah. uh, Dave Hollis, who's yes. been um you know up in Regis most of the season. So, and you know that's. We're talking about huge outs there for the team. So, you know, the Eels are prioritising the individual player development uh, for the benefit of the NRL team is the right call. Um, you know, winning a Jersey flag title is nice, but it's not going to mean much if you're not getting NRL players out of it on the, you know, the most efficient timeline possible. So, Well, if you look at, if you look at it this way, you go, would Jake Arthur have got a first-grade debut and, uh, and and shown what he's capable of in the NRL if he spent the, the first half of the season playing just As, as we've seen with other goes, Eels prospects in the past, 
um, and this isn't in recent years, but we're talking about historically, beaten up in, in you know, ball or flag when you're clearly a cut above does nothing for your development. You know, no. yeah, yeah, it's great to win the plaudits and be called the next rising star because you're so far ahead of the rest of the grade when you're in the juniors or <clears throat> I suppose flag is uh, that sort of in-between senior grade and juniors. But yeah, the Eels absolutely making the right call. Like you said, Jacob Arthur goes to the cup instead of flag, plays a really good uh, half of half of a season and is able to step up to the NRL because of it. And, you know, he, he wasn't perfect in the NRL because, you know, how many 18-year-old halfbacks, uh, are, you know, flawless, even Sam Walker, you know, has um, had his moments where he got, you know, found out defensively or, or made the wrong pass. And for Jake Arthur, he couldn't have done that in the NRL if he hadn't been playing open-age football in the Cup. So, yeah, 100% the right call. And, yes, it sucks to have a flag team that isn't out there killing it. It's always fun to watch uh, a flag team playing some, you know, open-ended football and dominating the opposition. We've had some good flag teams, you know, 2014 went through to the qualifying final and then 2017 obviously going to the grand final and desperately unlucky not to win that one. So we've had some great teams to watch um, across, you know, recent years. But when it comes to ensuring the best long-term success for the NRL club, I will always back uh, promoting players to the cup or thereabouts um, instead of dominating flag. So, yeah, right call. Yeah, and... and the other thing, too, to mention was that um, I'm looking at the development of Sean Russell and Will Penasini, and, I, and I'll say there with those two boys, at the start of the season, they had moments where they looked like they were uh, players who perhaps should be in Jersey flag playing. Uh-huh. Uh, they took their lumps. They, they took now, their lumps, yep. Now they are starting to shine in New South Wales Cup. Not not just looking like they belong no. at that level, at least. Will Penasani has been dominant. Shine. And, you know, Sean Russell playing out of position or out of his preferred position, starting to find his feet nicely. And I, I think for Sean that's a big deal because Clinton Gufferson's going to be the fullback in the foreseeable future for the Eels. And it's not to say he can't get injured, suspended or caught up to origin, which gives you opportunities to play fullback for the Eels in a limited burst at least. But for Sean, um, going out there and converting to wing is a huge deal. And it's the, the correct deal. So, you know, he's doing the right thing. The club's doing the right thing by him. And, and for Will Penasini, you know, he's starting to straight up dominate open-age football. And that's going to put him in the box seat for an NRL debut like we just spoke about. And it might only be a game or two in 2021, but, you know, he could be a starter in 2022. Yeah, yeah. he's He, he has elements of his game which aren't unlike Michael Jennings when you watch him run. And... Um, uh, and and this isn't saying that he plays exactly like Michael Jennings or that he's going to be another Michael Jennings, but he just has an explosiveness about how he plays, yes. and um, and he he will be a threat as an NRL player. So, uh, and we're just starting to scratch the surface, I think. So, um, yeah, it'll be an interesting call this week. But um, yeah, mate, that's uh, two two wins, one loss out of this weekend, and. Um, uh, and and I guess with um, uh, this time of the season getting into that second half of the uh, draw, it was a, uh, a a good way to um, uh, to I suppose look at look at how we uh, start that run into towards the finals. It, it, it is now the business end of the season. The Eels done a good job. I know they lost back to back games, dropping matches against Manly and South Sydney, which was frustrating. But they've taken care of business in the first half of the season. And they've positioned themselves to go through that gauntlet um, with a little bit of a cushion, which is what they needed because, you know, I mean, maybe they go through and dominate those teams because there are 
you know, some crucial home games for them in those big contests. And we know the Eels at Bankwest are a formidable force. But they've, I mean, ironically, I say that they've lost their two, two of their two was it two or three of their losses this year were at Bankwest. Uh, uh, it's two. Well, it's um, we had both the uh, South and and um, Manly games that and the, um, and the Dragons game was at Bankwest too. Yeah, so yeah. The, uh, as, oh, as, sorry, no, South was at... Um, ANZ? A- yes, yeah, Stadium yeah. Australia. Stadium Australia, yes, it was. So yeah, um, yeah. two of their losses coming at home. Um, so, you know, they are a formidable outfit at home for certain, and that crowd really does get behind the heels. It's always awesome at Bankwest. But, you know, they, they've positioned themselves to make that run in the second half of the season and enter the finals with a bit of momentum against good teams, hopefully. So, yeah, really... And isn't it great to see the 20,000-plus crowds... On a on a regular basis yeah. at, at Banquist Stadium, yeah, the, the Eels faithful really turning out to support their team. You love to see it consistently. I mean, you say twenty thousand, but it's all it's been mid high twenties for the most part too. Um, against the the Tigers, it was twenty three, I think twenty three, twenty four. Um, but prior to that, they've had some really really strong crowds. So awesome to see the uh, the blue and gold faithful packing out Bank West. It is an incredible venue to watch football, and yeah. Um, the Eels rewarded them, for the most part, for some really good football this season. And, you know, and we spoke about it going through um, breaking down those losses against Manly and, and the Rabbitohs, as frustrating as they were. When you look back and, and show the corresponding points in this season in 2020, because in 2020 there was a real slide mid-season. The Eels really struggled. Uh, they, they did end up getting some wins, but they were always grinding out their wins. They never really got back in, you know, out of, out of maybe third gear. And yet here they've had some tough losses where they took their medicine and they didn't play great football, and they've come back and they've really pumped Newcastle and the Tigers, um, forty points in both games. You know, incredible attacking football and good defensive football. So they've come back into gear just in time to take on the Dogs and the Panthers before we head into the bye. And yeah, um, position themselves fantastically. So well done to Brad Arthur. Well done to all the coaching staff and supporting staff that go there because you know it, it is a massive effort. And well done to the players primarily. I've had guys out of position throughout the first half of the season. We've had guys um, in and out of suspension or injury. And we've had people step up to the plate. The next man up mentality has been fantastic. And that's the reason why the Eels are sitting down um, on their own on third and the ladder, just one win behind the top two place teams. Yeah, uh, nice position to be in. A good number of points to be sitting on with uh, at 22 points at the moment with... Um, a buy not far down the track, and um, look, I'd like to think that by the time we get to the buy, that we're going to be sitting on either twenty six or twenty eight points. So it's a um, it's a double break too, isn't it? Because it's standalone Origin and our round seventeen buy upcoming. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Eels get a chance to really uh, uh, patch up all the uh, walking wounded because even though Reed's the only real big issue long term, uh, well, medium term in terms of core players. You don't go for a rugby league season without accumulating an amount of uh, niggles and knocks and all sorts of things that keep players at you know eighty percent instead of one hundred percent. So it'd be a good time to rest up and and come into that back home, uh, that back tilt fresh. Yep, yep. Alrighty, well, I think that's a really nice place to wrap things up, mate. It's always fun to do a, a review podcast or a reaction podcast on the back of a strong victory. Um, the Eels with their forty to forty to uh, twelve win. Sorry. Uh, 40 to 4 was against Newcastle Knights the week before, but the 40 to 12 win um, stretches their streak to the Tigers 2 7, and it's their most comprehensive victory since the inaugural game at Bank West. So, really nice to uh, put the ribbons on that. And it continues a trend in 2021 for the most part, where the Eels have really been 
uh, breaking ducks and hoodoos and all sorts of things. They uh, got a clean win over the Sharks, which you don't see too often. They knocked over the Storm uh, in a really good regulation season game. They uh, punished the Raiders before they had that huge slide and it was still seen as a premiership force in Canberra to end a, a 15-year hoodoo, I think that was. Um, they posted their biggest ever win in Darwin, their first ever comprehensive victory in Darwin. They put away the dogs comfortably. They took they took down the roosters in regulation. So there's just a string of great results where they've managed to buck uh, trends and, and sort of bogey teams, um, barring obviously Manly and South Sydney. So there is a little bit of room for error there. But yeah, um, really, really great season in 2021. Looking forward to what the Eels can do in the second half. Um, but for this podcast, matter of fact, we'll sign off. I'm your host, 4020. Um, had a blast talking as always. And um, I hope you uh, enjoyed myself and 60s prattling on. We'll catch you guys next time. Yep. See you later. Please.